0: A shirt front mr putin i tell you what any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up the day is a bum <laughs> because i want the to mim- do you more.
1: slowly if you don't vote for the liberal national parties then anthony albanese will be the prime minister of australia welcome to edge of the election the edge of the crowds australian politics podcast i'm your host jackie and now that the campaign season has officially started i'm joined by rory and joel tonight so how are the both of you
0: Very good. Keen that the campaign is underway and we are ready to tackle this thing properly.
2: Yeah, feeling good. Thanks, Jackie. That's
1: good. That's good. So as I said, uh, the campaign has officially started. Um, It might have taken Anthony Albanese offering Scott Morrison a lift to the Governor General's House to do so. But on Sunday, the 10th of April, the election was called for May 21st, which gives us a six-week-long election campaign. Some people might be like, wow, that's super long. He also basically waited until the last minute to call it because with Easter weekend being the final days that he can call the election, um, realistically, it had to be this Sunday or it had to be Tuesday or Wednesday at the latest.
0: Yeah, that's right. And Parliament was meant to... Meant to sit today. So by calling that election, they've managed to stop that from happening. And, you know, the election's finally here. I think he was just waiting for a day without a scandal. And thankfully he got that on a Sunday, but it didn't last too long before another one found him.
2: Yeah, it looks like polls were slightly up after the budget, so definitely exploiting that. And it looks like, I think uh, unemployment was sort of looking good around around then as well. So definitely probably a likely influence on that decision.
1: Yeah, but because the election's been called, um, it is really important if you haven't already registered to vote or haven't updated your details or also re-enrolled if you've been overseas for an extended period of time or spent more than three years in prison, That's just how it is. Um, You do need to get onto the AEC website and enroll to vote by next Monday at 8pm. So you've got about six days from the podcast getting released. But even then, that's not a lot of time. You've got to do it as soon as you possibly can and make sure that they are correct, even if you have uh, already enrolled to vote.
0: Yeah. And we've seen the AEC campaign start to get everyone enrolled and you know that's good. And We've all enrolled. I did it just before we started this podcast, got on the, the register and changed my address, which is you know, a key thing to do. If you've moved, make sure you do that. Even if it's within the same electorate, still got to change that address. So, yeah, make sure you get onto that. Enroll all that good stuff. Make sure you can you can vote on May 21 and get your democracy sausage.
2: Yes, yeah, so it's the AEC. A lot of work um, means you don't have to get uh, get, the, get the mail coming in. Um, so best to get out of the way.
1: Yeah, and it's all online. So it's pretty easy to do. If you don't want to do it online, you basically need to have had it done by Monday. already just gone. But um, it takes like two or three minutes online. You've just got to make sure you have your passport with you, your driver's license or someone that's already enrolled to vote right beside you. But we might move on to the news polls that have just come out because uh, News Corp's news poll uh, has released and it's changed things up a little bit. The margins have slimmed. The LNP are now at 47%, whereas the Labor Party is at 53%. So they've both, uh, it's swung by about three percent Um, And then preferred PM is where it's big time swung back is that Scott Morrison is now at 44% to Albanese at 39%. So Scott Morrison's gained a point and Albanese's lost three points. Um, I am not entirely surprised. Um, It also is a News Corp poll, so it is very different looking to the Roy Morgan or the Ipsos polls. They do tend to swing more towards the Liberal Party and the Nationals. But at the same time, I think that this is one of the polls that actually probably reflects the internal polling a little bit better than that Ipsos poll that had like 12% last week.
0: Yeah, that's right. 12% Yeah, a bit much. 6% here looks a little bit more accurate, but you know, two-party preferred doesn't really affect the election all that much. It might affect some perceptions, but I think we'll probably get onto this in another episode. But we might look at it like seat-by-seat seat polling which is actually what will decide beside this election rather than, you know, blanket across the board. But, yeah, I think as we move to a more US style of politics, which is, yeah, as I've said every week, not a good thing, that preferred PM number is going to be important, obviously. And Albanese didn't do himself any favours today, and we'll touch on that a little bit later.
2: Yeah, definitely a lot of concerns around authenticity and such this election, which will affect what uh, should absolutely affect um, the preferred PM and potentially the outcome of the election as well, I think. so.
1: Yeah, I think that the big thing that people need to remember is, A, we don't vote for prime ministers in this country. We vote for our local representatives and then we vote for who we hope can get into the Senate. And it's not really individuals, it's mostly the parties. Um, but then also with that, um you shouldn't vote for who you think's going to win and I think that sometimes that's what this polling ends up resulting in is people being like I don't really agree with either party or any of the parties but I'm going to put the one that I think I think this guy's going to win here so I'm going to vote it's not gambling um, I think you can bet on the election I could be wrong I don't necessarily agree with it um, <laughs> but don't play the election and in the polling booth as a sort of gamble on what you think the order is going to be because it's kind of a waste of your vote a little bit, um, especially if you do care to some extent about one specific policy or just the way you want the government to form a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's right. And especially if it's your first election and you haven't done this before, do, all you got to do is 10 minutes of research, listen to the podcast. You'll figure out who to vote for. Um, yeah, Do the policy, policy research, figure out what you want, who's going to give that to you and vote for that party. It's it's all pretty simple and we'll get a bit further into it in the weeks to come. But, yeah, just um, just vote for the people that you think are best rather than who you think is going to win. This isn't the grand final. Like, you know, there's no money to be made. Do what's right by yourself.
2: Yeah, pretty silly to just throw your right vote where, where the wind happens to be blowing. Um, of, of course, listen to what, what experts are saying, so what economists are saying about the policies. Um, Follow what seems to be effective, what seems to be best for Australia, um, and and don't let yourself be swayed by these sort of uh, dogmatic kind of populist concerns.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we're going to talk about some dogmatic populist concerns tonight. I'm going to start with um, a comment that came from the Prime Minister today. He supports the push to effectively ban trans women from competing in female sports um, and then applauded the very brave women, in particular the liberal women that are pushing the idea, but that it will be dealt with at another time. I think that this is partially seizing on what is happening in the United States because there is very strong anti-gay and anti-trans agenda getting pushed in a lot of the states but also across their media currently. And I also think it is a really... Um, cynical play to try and win some votes um, in the sense of you can turn this into an election campaign that just becomes about this one issue if Labor chooses to play which it appears that they're not going to but at the same time they might and either come in one direction or the other which both are foolish in that regard.
0: Yeah they're stupid comments and it's obviously a bad bill that's being proposed and these things, they're not apart from just being like terrible and discriminatory. It's not really that big of an issue, really. Like there's not that many trans people competing in professional sport. And if they are, and they're good enough, let them go. Do they think, but I think what this is, is more of a trap. Like they want to get Anthony Albanese. They want to get labor talking about it because whatever, whatever side they come out on this, they can't win there. If they say trans people shouldn't compete, they're going to be attacked from their left, and the Greens left-wing voters of the Labor Party. if They say they should. Then there's a whole bunch of right-wing voters that'll go against them. So Anthony Albanese is obviously trying to, you know, run down the middle in this campaign, and this is kind of a trap to, I guess, Scott Morrison to take some of that ground.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, this is obviously like a sort of Anglo-American thing, just making its way into Australia. Um, like conservatives are sort of bringing in the these sort of global conservative issues to use as a um, as like as like a wedge against the other side, I guess, as you said, Rory. Um, where it seems to be just a way for them to try to set up Albanese in the Labor Party to fall into um, like a very sort of easily uh, clip chint sort of scenario where um, they can point and say, "Oh, Albo um, things you should have um, the, the, the things that like." like women's sports, doesn't matter, whatever. Um, very silly. Um, and uh, yeah, but, but far more important things to focus on, I think, than trying to sort of score these like, cheap wins against, um, yeah, against what, left-wing progressive politics
1: yeah and even in the sense of like women in sport the Liberal government can claim they care about women in sport so much but they are using an opportunity to talk about women in sport when you could talk about it in an incredibly positive way considering this weekend gone, we just saw three of our major sporting leagues that are female sporting leagues have grand finals all of which were very successful um and instead they've gone and punched across at another marginalized community and said they don't belong it also like it hurts trans women it also hurts trans men in sport because it puts them in a position where trans men cannot compete in sport either because they'll be like well you can't compete in the women's league because your testosterone levels are too high which realistically they shouldn't be because they're not identifying as women but then they also can't compete in the men's league because trans men will also subsequently get excluded from sport we've seen it happen in the united states where um, trans men have competed in different male competitions, gotten pushed into the female league when and then dominated the female league and then people are freaked out because they've been competing in the male league and done really well in the male league themselves. Um, it's just nonsense and I think that we're going to see more of these like identity politics based issues come up through the election Scott Morrison's already tried to hit the he's a married man and Albanese is a divorced man kind of thing and it hasn't really worked because a lot of people have gone well it's actually pretty good when someone knows to leave an unhappy marriage but it won't surprise me if there is more stuff that comes up um potentially more, like, QAnon-style stuff as well, because we've seen, like, a little bit of that, as well as the, you know, attacking Labor, because the CCP apparently supports them so much.
0: Yeah, this isn't, it's not good for anyone, this kind of political campaign. We should be focusing on, you know, economics and stuff that makes a material difference to people's lives and, you know, not attacking minorities and, you know, belittling people. Like Scott Morrison's done by supporting this and making these comments, I don't even know who this really wins votes with. Like, apart from maybe J.K. Rowling and some turfs, there's a there's a couple that might vote that way, but this isn't a, that big of an issue for most people anyway.
2: Yeah, definitely better just focus on the on the bread and butter stuff. Um, yeah, just, yeah, just a silly thing to to, to try to bring to the fore in Australia, I think. Um, yeah, and with that said, um, on the on the topic of, of like other issues, that might sort of these other so like Anglo American issues that might come to the floor in Australia, I'm worried about election integrity stuff becoming more popular here, especially around like, like voter IDs you know, as well, which I've, I've seen some uh, some Liberal MPs calling for at points. Um, I'm worried about that becoming really popular here um, it's, which it would sure also be just very silly. Um, doesn't really uh, these American criticisms just don't apply to Australia when we have like a like a really sort of strong electoral body such as the AEC? So it would be really annoying if that uh, became a thing.
1: So I'm pretty sure we now it's mandatory to have ID like that has your address or something on it when you go to the voting booth. I think that that changed in between the last couple of elections that it was one of those like snuck in there kind of things. So I think it's going to really annoy people on election day if like someone didn't bring their license with them or their license doesn't have their home address on it. Um, at the same time, like, as you said, it, it's something that's going to come up that doesn't work in a country that has mandatory voting. Like what you go in, you try to vote, you get turned away because you don't have the right kind of voter ID. And then you cop a fine three weeks later and you go, well, I tried, like what more am I supposed to do? Like, that sort of thing. If they're going to do that, then they have to issue free voter ID cards. Like it has to be that people don't have to pay for it and it needs to be good quality, high quality kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. The only reason you get purged from the voter voting rolls in this country is if you leave the country for more than three years time to live in another country or if you're in prison for more than three years time. Um, Those are the only reasons and you can re-enroll in both cases as soon as you return to the country or return... Uh, or leave prison, so it does. It just doesn't work. It's a silly kind of thing that they did try to do in the past three years. That so makes no sense.
0: Yeah, that, that's one hundred percent right. Voter IDs is silly. It's gonna, you know, stop a whole bunch of people voting, whether that's young people that don't have licenses yet, or homeless people that don't have a permanent address, so then don't have a license that corresponds to that. It's just yeah, silly and unnecessary. We've had voting for a hundred years in Australia without needing to show your ID. It doesn't need to happen now.
2: Yeah, one of the important things about Australian democracy is that it is one of the, uh, one of the few that like, really truly universal participatory democracy, well, not, not so much participatory, but one of those uh, like that, you truly like a really like true universal democracy where everyone, uh, almost everyone, aside from the very, very few exceptions, is encouraged to vote. Um, setting up obstacles such as this is um, just very silly to do and I hope uh, we don't see the sort of Uh, American-inspired push for that any further
1: yeah I've always had the belief that um, it is your civic duty to show up to vote it is your civil right to draw a penis on your ballot paper if that's what you feel like doing Um, you don't have to vote but you need to show up to vote and essentially get your name checked off the roll like you're going to school Uh, But we might move on because when the Prime Minister officially announced that the election was going to be held on May 21st, uh, a question was asked by one of the journalists about uh, Minister Alan Tudge uh, as to whether he would be in the next cabinet and Morrison's response was that he he is still currently in the cabinet which um, raised a lot of eyebrows around the country, I think, Uh, in particular, considering he stepped down on the 4th of March for family reasons. Um, But also just because considering the circumstances as to why he had to step down, um, you shouldn't want someone like that back in your cabinet the same way that you shouldn't want a Christian Porter type back in your cabinet.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. The Liberals... Uh, running a campaign against Labour essentially they're not ready for government they're saying that they don't have you know ministerial positions filled, and Scott Morrison's apparently done that by keeping a guy in a position that's already quit I don't know about you but if you turn up to a job you quit people are going to look at you a little bit weird but yeah as you said he Alan Tudge left in a, an odd way he's you know he had an abusive relationship with a former staffer um, and then there's a question about a $500,000 payment and where that's where that money's come from, whether that's you know, money from Tudge or money from the Liberal Party or money from the government. I don't know about you guys, but I hope it's not, you know, taxpayer money and, and that kind of thing. And I hope it's not Liberal Party money either. That's that's not what that that kind of cash should be for. And obviously horrific for the for the person involved. But yeah, I don't know if it was a slip of the tongue by Morrison to say he was there or he did this on purpose. It's yeah, all a bit of a mess. And I think it just shows some disorganization on that front bench and, you know, not really knowing who's doing that work. So if he's been in that job for the last month, who's actually been doing the work? It's, it's a bit weird. Is that just work? Is that work just not being done at all? Yeah. It's an odd one. And I think Tudge will, will have to come out and say something. He's currently running as a backbencher. So he thinks he's quit, yeah. but Morrison thinks he's still there. So yeah, an odd one.
1: I also think that like saying, oh, the Labour Party hasn't got like their front bench sorted out yet. Albanese's come out and said already, like my cabinet is what my shadow ministers currently are. Like that's what it's going to be if the election pans out where all of those individuals win their seats. Um, we currently don't know who the health minister is going to be if a Liberal National Government uh, wins this next election. So if that's the case, like, I don't know, one party's actually kind of prepared for government in the sense of they know what the portfolios are going to be unless there is a major upset loss whereas the other party they're not even ready to announce who their health minister is going to be and that is a crucial portfolio item especially in a pandemic and then you've got on top of that um claiming that someone that has quit the cabinet is still in the cabinet currently make it makes sense <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. definitely pretty weird. Uh, maybe the Liberal Party sorted out in the next week or so. If they don't, it's a pretty bad look to not know who your health minister is. Um, yeah,
1: it's just it's very silly. It also like the Tudge situation is again further evidence that Australia needs a federal ICAC. Um, pretty much any independent crossbencher, um, Labor Party politician, Greens, despite the fact that they are in the poll crossbench are still considered a major party everyone's calling for it except for the current party that is in government um and when you've got scandal after scandal after scandal okay maybe it makes a little bit of sense um as to why you're not in favor for it but at the same time (laughs) shouldn't you want these issues even as the government rooted out of your party um and these people to get exposed um and also when most of the country is in favor of it. Most people that understand what it is are like 100% in favor for it. The only people that really understand what a federal integrity commission is that are super against it are people that are either like hardcore Gladys Berejiklian stands that are like upset that she still had to step away from her premiership which like she said the rules and she obeyed her own rules so like credit to her there. Or people that are okay with corruption in government and aren't afraid to say it like it's like those two camps specifically that of the percentage of the population that understand it most people as soon as you go oh do you think that there should be a body that roots out corruption in federal government will be like yes and will then also probably say that everyone in government's corrupt and they all need to be rooted out but they still are in favor of that body
0: yeah that's right and i think those two groups you described jackie are just called the ipa that seems to be the only group that's actually not in favour of this and they keep pushing it. They've got their members in the House and the Senate and they'll keep arguing what they want to argue. But, yeah, you're completely right. It's, it's going to come eventually, whether the Liberals get pulled to a kicking and screaming or not. I think the only way they stay in government is through a hung parliament and even then their like, support, independent supporters in the House will be calling for that. So, yeah, I think eight weeks' time we're definitely going to have one at least beginning to be established.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, there's definitely just a bit of a perverse incentive structure set up there, where you have to expect a corrupt government to set up a body to monitor their corruption, essentially. Um, which yeah, they're definitely a pretty perverse incentive there. Um, and I guess uh, there there is widespread support for it, but I feel like it's not like a big issue for a lot of voters. It's more something they offer uh, some support for, but it's probably not enough to change their vote. I could be wrong on that. That's sort of speculation. speculation. Um, but yeah, I think maybe that's that's one of the reasons um, because it's just not that sort of, it's not the kind of issue that directly affects the voter, I guess. It's not like economics. It's not like their they're taxes um, or, or like welfare or anything. It's just there to keep the integrity of the Australian um, political system. And I think that's something people uh, don't care about necessarily as long as it affect them too much.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it's, upon the Labor Party, this election to kind of draw lines between corruption and where it's affected people economically. And I think, you know, adverts will be part of that. The stuff in the Great Barrier Reef Foundation is going to be part of that. And then there's like overseas detention things that are pretty corrupt as well. So I think it's Labor has a hard job there, but I think they're going to try to like link corruption with stuff that's actually going to affect voters.
1: Well, and you can even use sports rods as an example of it. It's not necessarily like a full blown example, but be like, see, remember this thing that happened? Like, remember it? Hey, that's why we need it. Um, And there are things that have affected people's lives that maybe some people have been like, well, I mean, it helped me personally because my local football club got some coin kicks towards me. But at the same time, like, people that are in other seats that could have gotten, like, genuinely good uh, funding for things that they needed for their sporting programs would also potentially be like, hang on a second, yeah, like, they screwed us over. Um, but we might move on to some of the day one campaigning kind of stuff because Anthony Albanese had his first gaffe of the campaign so far, not knowing the cash and unemployment rates. Um And the media had, sorry, and the media probably lost their minds over it a little bit. Um, It's all anyone talked about until about 3pm today. And then, you know, some evening news started to roll in. But I don't know about you guys. I don't think it particularly matters. I also don't think that the unemployment rates are particularly accurate. And if you ask government versus asking Roy Morgan there is a four percent difference in those two unemployment rates which is pretty significant because it's effectively double um but also at the same time like Scott Morrison was also asked those rates today and apparently still got the cash rate wrong um so at that point of like okay report on them both but also like I don't really care I don't I don't know personally off the top of my head what the cash and unemployment rates are. Um, I don't expect pretty much any Australian to know it off the top of their heads except for a politician. And maybe it's unfair to expect the politicians to do it unless they're in the government's case using it to promote their own record because if you're getting it wrong when it's the thing that you're pumping up, um, that's an issue.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And I think both of those numbers are incorrect no matter what Anthony Albanese were to give. So if he gave that 3.8% number that the government says it is, in reality, that's incorrect, as you said. And even the cash rate that's at 1% now, in reality, that's at 0.68. And that changes literally every day. So it's yeah. not a number that actually stays at one point. The RBA sets a target and we try to meet it, but, you know, target's never met. So it's it's an odd one. And yeah, he probably should know these numbers, but it's more of this, you know, just small questions that people don't know the answer to and then the media just eats it up for hours and hours and you know a bit of job justification from journalists as well to pump out you know 45 articles a day as they have to at Channel 7 and Channel 9 so yeah it's it's just silly but I think what happened that was good was Albanese came out later and said he made a mistake fessed up to it and you know he took responsibility I don't think that's something we would have seen with Scott Morrison we've seen him you know make mistakes and lie and We saw it on 7.30 the other day. He kind of backed up what he said about not going to the Hillsong churches. And we obviously know that's like we went through it a couple of weeks ago. We know that was a lie, but he, you know, he doubles down. And I think it's good for a leader to admit when they don't know what they're doing. And I think importantly, Anthony Albanese is not going to be the treasurer. Jim Chalmers will be the treasurer. Scott Morrison was the treasurer. So it would make more sense that he would know those numbers over Albanese who takes they more of the soft por- portfolios, you know, aged care, health?
1: I'll yeah. also add that like a few months ago, it was probably just after New Year. Scott Morrison was asked, I think, the price of a litre of milk, a loaf of bread and a rat test. He couldn't answer it. Um, the only one that I think that actually mattered at the time specifically that he knew the price of was the rat test. And there was no way you were answering that question right because of all the pr- price gouging. If you said like, ah, oh, well, it sounds like they're anywhere between ten to sixty dollars at the moment, then people would be like, all right, he, he does, he is aware of what's going on in this country. But like, for starters, you can get a liter of milk for a dollar. You can also get a liter of milk for three dollars. <laughs> um, depends on what brand you're buying. It depends on where you're shopping. Um, those sort of questions, like the do you know the price of corn or something like that? Unless it's like specific about agriculture in an agricultural region, and it's someone in that electorate that is running for it. I don't think that knowing those prices matter. Um, So, I mean, if someone like Barnaby Joyce didn't know the price of whatever um, is the main agricultural export from the region, yeah, that, that's kind of weird. That's something he probably should know. I also think though that that's again more of this Americanization of Australian politics. It doesn't matter because they don't really have a crazy effect on the price of a loaf of bread.
2: Yeah, it's 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 all like rather silly in my opinion. I think our political culture has a bit of an obsession with these little these little gotcha moments. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's cool. when when Skymode. So who's getting lampooned for it, I think it's cool, and Abo's Arbo, getting lampooned for it. I don't expect our Prime Minister to be to be an all-knowing technocrat. I expect them to be able to make good uh, cabinet decisions, really, to, to, to actually delegate those responsibilities to uh, professional um, and knowledgeable people who do know these things. Um, yes, yeah, so it's all rather silly, I think. Um, uh, political culture sort of needs to move past this uh, this John Houston birthday cake uh, kind of mindset, I think, um, and try to just focus on the on the merits and the, the downfalls of policy instead.
1: Yeah, and as Rory said, I think that the actual commendable moment from it is Albanese just fronting up and saying, hey, I got it wrong. You know what? <laughs> These things change quickly. And I think he referenced the price of fuel as what, has been changing quickly which is probably actually the best example in this country right now given how much that's fluctuated and how important it is to people um but at the same time it just doesn't matter and i don't think people really care they just wanted a moment where albanese looked silly um or poor so they could run the he made his first mistake and he better not make one again otherwise he's never getting elected and it's like in 41 days' time, no one's going to remember that he couldn't say what the unemployment rate was because no one actually really cares about the unemployment rate right now. Um, but the campaign is officially underway and they've already gotten on their buses and traveled around. So Scott Morrison was in, uh, Scott Morrison was in Nowra to help Andrew Constance with his battle. Um, I mean, there wasn't too much. To- silliness it was all the attention was on our way today to be fair because of that one little gap so i think that it was a good day for scott morrison as far as the campaign is concerned because the attention was off him
0: yeah i think andrew constance is an interesting one he was a a big player when those bushfires came in 2019-20 and you know he quit the liberal government or the liberal state government and quit politics altogether to focus on you know this rebuild and now that's led him to running for a federal seat and Scott Morrison today promised $40 million for the recovery from those bushfires that are now, you know, almost three, happened almost three years ago. I remember those bushfires pretty well. They, they got pretty close to Canberra here and it was, you know, pretty scary in parts and I think it's, it's pretty bad from the government for it to have taken this long. Like, I know recovery takes a long time but, you know, this $40 million is meant for roads and that should have been done years ago at this point.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, it sucks that um, that with sort of like an, an election system, I guess, so it's during election years where the important stuff tends to get done, which is quite frustrating. Um, you, you want these things to be happening all throughout the, the government's uh, sort of government's period um, instead of just during the sort of small kind of electoral period. Um, so, yeah, but pretty disappointing it came this late, but I suppose it's good the money got there eventually uh, at the very least
1: yeah I just think that like considering in the speech that Scott Morrison gave as he announced the election he criticized Albanese and Labor for politicizing natural disasters which everything's political get over it um at the same time like you are politicizing the natural disaster from two slash three years ago so you are using a natural disaster you not only like happened a while ago colossally screwed up um, like I, if I was Scott Morrison, wouldn't want to be drawing attention or drawing memories back to those bushfires. Um, whilst this money is important for the seat of Gilmore, I think that you possibly could have pledged it a little bit in a different way, um, because people can just immediately be like, "Yo, remember when he came to Hawaii, went to Hawaii in the middle of the bushfires? Remember that? Remember that?" Um, and that'll be effective because people were really mad then, and it will bring up hurt. Sorry, it will bring up hurt feelings. Um, I also, additionally, though, if you are going to bring this relief um, for the reconstruction from the bushfires, do it for all the seats that were affected by the bushfires, not just the ones that are marginal seats that you need to win. Um, And do it for the ones that are not just liberal and national seats, do it for the Labor seats or the independent seats as well, because a lot of people in this country were displaced and hurt and are still recovering from it on top of now floods and the pandemic as well. So it's like this money needs to go to a lot of seats. And whilst I think that this is excellent for the seat of Gilmore, in the grand scheme of things, it's also way too late. And if it's not going elsewhere as well, then what are you doing other than playing politics of which you have been accusing the other party of doing for the past two weeks?
0: Yeah, that's right. It's, it's terrible government to wait until election for these things. And you know people have long memories and yeah, it's it's not going to play well for people, but we saw Anthony Albanese today in Tasmania who weren't affected by those bushfires. And, you know, he had a pretty tough day of it, but those are two seats in, in Bass and Braddon that I talked about a couple of weeks ago that could be, pretty vital they're they're on small margins and they could flip I think pretty easily especially with you know the Liberal Premier leaving Tasmania recently he won't be campaigning with Scott Morrison so yeah I think the ALP saw that as a a move today to go in there try to get some good graces before you know the Liberals come down and try to throw money at the problems.
1: Yeah I think that another interesting seat where both parties are going to end up in the next two weeks is Boothby in South Australia. South Australia is definitely in play from what a lot of people are saying at the moment. Um, Boothby is the only actual marginal seat though and Nicole Flint is retiring. I don't think Nicole Flint was winning that seat though if she was running. She's got a lot of fair criticism towards her that she immediately dismisses as sexism um, and that doesn't warm people up to you. It puts off people that are more inclined to vote for you for a because you're a woman and be like, oh, well, if like she combats any sexism with any, sorry, if she combats any criticism with, oh, it's sexism, you're just being mean to me because I'm a woman, um, you lose a lot of credence. And also people that are like not inclined to vote for you for a woman, but maybe are inclined to vote for you because you're a liberal politician will also be put off by you. I'm not a particularly big fan of Nicole Flint. I don't think she's a particularly good politician. I'm glad to see her go. At the same time, though, you can't pull that sort of stuff, like, every time. Um, and it is what she's gone with every single time. Um, so it's it'll be interesting to see the play that the Labor Party runs down there. I think that the Liberal Party is going to run, hey, this is a blue ribbon seat. You, we've got this, like... Trust us, we've always kept good care of Boothby. But a blue ribbon seat being a marginal seat is a big deal. And there's a couple of them that are this year. So whether it's an independent that sneaks in and it's one of those teal Climate 200 independents or it is a Labor Party candidate um, is interesting. I think preferences are going to play a big part in Boothby.
0: Yeah, it's just one of the seats that's in play in this election. The... The state seats around Boothby and in Boothby all flip towards Labor in that state election. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. And I think it's definitely one that's going to flip. And South Australia loves voting in the Labor Party. And I think that's probably the way that state's going to go again in this election.
1: Um. <laughs> But we might move to please explain our final segment for this week, and we've got two items of the on the agenda. We're going to start with the first one, which is a different Scott than we're used to. Scott Cam, uh, getting paid three hundred and forty-seven thousand dollars for a grand total of four social media posts and three videos. Um, which I mean, that's got to be the going rate, similar to like what a influencer that has about fourteen million followers has. <laughs> Uh, on Instagram, but this is, you know, money that the federal government's forked out to do a whole lot of nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was he was rolled out to be some kind of, I don't know, apprentice envoy almost, you know, with the people that want to go into construction and that kind of thing, even though Scott Cam hasn't picked up a hammer in about 35 years. Uh, but, yeah, he was paid a, a big chunk of money, 347000 we get effectively nothing from it. Four social posts and three videos would have taken him probably 20 minutes and then someone editing a little bit longer. So, yeah, just a big chunk of money that's disappeared out the window that could have gone to something more important.
2: Yeah, it seems, I don't know, it seems, seems just not well-spent money to me. Um, yeah, I don't think Cam is going to be uh, this, this paragon, this inspiring figure uh, for, for the country, but um, definitely not worth that kind of money in my opinion.
1: Hey, now, if you do a trade, you too could become the host of The Block. Um, not yeah. necessarily be on it and win it. You've got to be like semi-good looking for that. But you could host it, that's for sure. Um, I think also just with that, like, it was criticized when that was announced um, and very heavily criticized. It felt like another fake tradie scenario for those that don't remember or perhaps they're too young to remember Basically, it was an ad run by the Liberal Party saying not to trust Labor and to keep the guys that we're all familiar with in, which is also kind of the play that they're running this year. Who would have guessed? Um, And then it was widely criticised basically because the tradie in the ad um, had a, I think it was like a $10,000 watch or some, maybe that's just thinking about the Australian Post scandal, but some ridiculously expensive watch that no tradie worth their salt would be wearing on a construction site. Um, And like, it's one of those... That scandal was a little bit whatever, but when you then made an appointment that immediately drew parallels to it, of course it was going to be a scandal on top of it.
0: Yeah, Scott Cam is the original fake trader. He's been pretending he's, he's been a builder for 35 years and he's, he's been on telly and I'm sure he makes millions of dollars out of the block. So yeah, he's doing pretty well for himself. And like if the government wants to give me that kind of cash for some social posts, I'll do it. But, yeah, it's probably not what they should be be doing with the money.
1: Um, and the other Please Explain item today, which is the spot we are all familiar with, uh, and that's Scott Morrison. And it is the claim that he's come out with, it's probably been for about a week and a half now, maybe going as far back as two weeks, that the federal government is responsible for saving 40,000 lives during the pandemic. Um, This again goes back to the public having pretty long memories and a lot of people remembering Scott Morrison say, that's not my job, that's not the job of the federal government, that's the state's job, Uh, week after week after week, um, and delegating even commonwealth responsibilities to the states like, you know, hotel quarantine, um, despite the fact that what's in the constitution says otherwise. So, I don't know how. Um, They thought that that was going to be a good political move to say that they saved 40,000 lives during the pandemic when, I mean, look at what happened in WA, (laughs) like, and their last election last year, um, and even Queensland a little bit. What the state governments have done, aside from in South Australia, is the reason why they were winning their elections and winning them quite convincingly over the past two years previously.
0: Yeah, that's it. And we have we all saw over the last couple of years that it's been the state governments have, that have done this work. They were the ones in the press conferences every week or every day. And Scott Morrison was effectively, you know, taking a holiday on the back bench for a little bit, not really doing too much work. But I think if he wants to claim that he saved 40,000 lives, he also needs to take responsibility for the lives that COVID has cost in Australia. You can't have it both ways. Like his policies of, in some places actively gone against what state governments have wanted. And we've seen that with a bit of fighting in WA over the last couple of years. And you know, Scott Morrison wanted the borders open and Mark McGowan kept them shut. But yeah, it's, it just doesn't make sense. And it was all part of kind of this weird PR ca- uh, PR campaign to you know, keep the guys that we've got. I'm not sure that's going to work, to be honest with you. A lot of people have died and the those death numbers are still going up pretty Pretty badly every day now. Yeah, you can't take uh, you can't take credit for something without taking responsibility for the other thing. So, yeah, he's he's kind of put himself in a hole here, and no one really believes that he saved forty thousand lives apart from maybe himself.
2: Yeah, but, uh, personally, I would just like to see where Scott got this number from. Um, I have no idea what your benchmark is. Like uh, 40,000 lives as compared to to, to what exactly? Um, It seems just a very strange claim to make. Um, Obviously other countries had it worse, of course, but like our federal government made some pretty sort of, um, pretty pretty, like simple and like rather large mistakes as well. Um, like, you know, the, the vaccine rollout for one where um, we could have very easily gotten access to Pfizer because they came to us, but then we, for some reason, chose not to take it. Um, very sort of simple stuff up there. Um, then, of course, like the whole aged care situation where we lost a lot of our lives. Um, you know, aged care could have just been run uh, more effectively. We, we know how to run aged care effectively because that's how we used to run it. Um, could have just done something there. Um, so, I don't know. It's, it's a very strange claim to make. Um, the federal government, you know, had knowledge of alternative pathways it could have taken in some very important respects. Uh, so that sort of, just sort of makes it quite, potentially a quite disrespectful claim to make as well, I think.
1: Yeah, so I, my <laughs> assumption, this is not any actual genuine knowledge, my assumption is that the 40,000 number is pulled from deaths in proportion to population. Um, And based on potentially the worldwide average figure or countries that are like Australia have similar healthcare systems, so the UK, a lot of European countries and what their death rates were like at the same time, as you guys have just said, like... Um, You've also got to take responsibility for the people that have died and are still dying um, and also the people that are dealing with long COVID. But I guess at the same time, maybe had the federal government decided to take responsibility in their way of taking responsibility, 40,000 people would have died. Um, And so them saying, not my job, don't want to deal with it, saved 40,000 people's lives because the state government's put in pretty good policies on the most part i don't necessarily agree with everything i know a lot of people hated lockdowns but the lockdowns genuinely saved lives and the federal government hated it when labor did it in victoria hated it when the liberals did it in new south wales so there is that to the small extent of i'll give you that claim if you're saying our our choice to delegate to the states saved all those lives because the states did the work you just wiped your hands of it
0: yeah that's right it's is it really worth keeping government in that's, you know, taking credit for not doing any work? <laughs> I'm not sure that's what we elect governments for. So if that wants to tell you how to vote, that can tell you how to vote. That's um, That one's up to you.
1: It's further proof that they are the managerial class of the country um, and why they are criticised for being managers rather than actual politicians and governors um, for a country of 25 million people that, pretty frustrated with them currently <laughs> but that brings us to the end of today's episode of edge of the election joel rory would you like to share your social media links
0: sure um at rory underscore dennis on everything and you know look it up follow it all that good things
2: yeah uh joel w duggan on twitter uh, two g's um yeah that's my only social media so
1: you can find me at 161 on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that good stuff. Um, this has been Edge of the Election. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at edge election Pod. Edge of the Election is a part of the <laughs> Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd at Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, pretty much anywhere you get social media from. Uh, you can also read any of our stories, be they politics, sport or culture at www.edgeofthecrowd.com. The election is a bit under six weeks away now. So make sure you register to vote. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.